What a joy. Father, you're the reason. Lord Jesus, you're the reason. Holy Spirit, you're the reason. And we look to you at this moment, having sung of your praises. Astonished by your grace and mercy. Overwhelmed by your majesty. Dumbstruck that you would love such as such as we. We have sung to you. Now speak to us that we might leave this place more conformed, more perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus our Savior. More full of the Holy Spirit than we have ever been. And committed to seeing the purposes of Christ accomplished in our day. Speak, Lord, because we're hungry for you. And our souls thirst. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. I have a dear friend who released a video just a little while ago. I wonder if we could watch it together right now. Let's, Let's roll that. All my life I've heard with my ears. My fathers have told me about the great things God has done in ages past. I've heard about the mighty movements of the Holy Spirit. I've heard of masses coming to Christ. And though I rejoice to hear it with my ears, my heart's desire was to be able to see it with my own eyes. Like the blind man in the Gospels, my prayer was, Lord, please open my eyes. I want to see. Well, God has answered that prayer and done so in an incredible way. With my own eyes, I've seen churches planted by the tens of thousands, reproducing like rabbits, springing up everywhere in houses, caves, dried up riverbeds, under trees, in alleys, and on rooftops. With my own eyes, I've watched them, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, gathered together, seated in little fellowships on the floor, worshiping the one who redeemed them, praising him with their lips, with tears in their eyes and joy on their faces with their hands held up in praise. I've seen them clutching their Bibles, holding them tight, even kissing them, I've watched as they prayed prayers that shook my soul. I've seen them set free, delivered from disease and demonic forces. I've seen people touched, changed, healed by the mighty name of Jesus. I've seen them bringing their families, their friends to Christ. I've seen them like a mighty army going from village to village, place to place, mountaintop to valley, preaching His name, leaving new churches behind. I've no longer just heard about it. I've seen it. I've seen first-generation believers who've given up everything to know Him. I've seen persecuted brothers and sisters rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. I've seen wizards, idol worshipers, those in bondage to every conceivable vice set free. I've seen former Muslims not only worshiping Jesus, but making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I've seen trafficked sex slaves now bringing other girls to Christ. I've seen orphans, widows, the least of the least, 
being loved, fed, and cared for. And I can only say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I not only get to see it, but praise your name. I get to be a small part of what you're doing. Hallelujah. Praise your holy, holy name. You don't have to be around me very long before you'll hear me say something to the effect that we, we live in the greatest days in the history of the world to be alive. I want you to just turn to somebody and just say, we live in the greatest days ever. Go ahead, turn. I wonder how many people believe that, but we do. Last week, I, I produced a prayer meeting in the historic Dwight Chapel on the campus of Yale University for the Collegiate Day of Prayer. It was a collaboration among a dozen national ministry groups, and we streamed our broadcast to somewhere between seven and eight million Facebook users. Besides streaming to hundreds of venues around the country, venues of a few dozen people, venues of, a, of several hundred people, and, and get this, this two hours of prayer among so many people, get this, the, the entire night cost us less than what some of you paid for your car, your last car. It's an amazing opportunity that we have today to share the gospel and to call people to the presence of God. Last May, I helped produce the National Day of Prayer broadcast out of the Statuary Hall in the heart of the U.S. Capitol. We had 1.5 million viewers on Facebook Live, plus millions others on two other television stations. And again, it maybe it cost us two cars to do that. Sherwood knows and, and loves a guy by the name of Sammy Tippett. Sammy is in his 70s and probably in the most fruitful days of his life. He preaches to crusades of many thousands of people, and it has for many years, but now is, he's doing something quite unique. Some of these people, some of these groups that are gathered in the most dangerous places on the face of the earth, places where converting to Christianity would mean losing your life, and yet multitudes of people have been won to Christ at these meetings. Sometimes as many as 50% of his audiences at a time will come forward to receive Christ. And do you, know, do you know how he preaches to them? Sammy preaches to a, a little camera in his office in San Antonio, Texas. And that signal is delivered then to a projector halfway across the world, displaying his image on a huge screen and allowing somebody then to interpret him as he preaches. And the local leaders then are able to disciple these new believers with Sammy's Facebook page and plant new churches because of Sammy's Facebook pages and online resources. And what's the cost of all this? What's the How much is it costing him? Well, about $20 a month to boost his signal on across the algorithms of Facebook. His discipleship videos are, are seen by millions of people, $20 a month. It's amazing. We live in the most remarkable days in the history of the world to be alive. Uh, if Jonathan Edwards, if the Apostle Paul were to know what you have at your disposal on a daily basis, all the resources that you have at your disposal, 
I know, I am convinced they would believe that we are living under the millennial reign of Christ. Staggering are the opportunities before us. Well, with regard to the mission of the church, both locally and, and internationally, there are really two, only two relevant questions that we have to answer. The first is that why do we do it? But the second is, why must we do more? Why do we do it? And why must we do more? Now, for the, for the answer, I'm going to take you to a, a passage in the scriptures that you know very, very well. We're going to consider five M's, like M&M's, five M's out of Acts chapters 1 and 2. We're going to look at the mandate first. Secondly, we're going to look at the message. Thirdly, we're going to look at the mark. Fourthly, we're going to look at the modus operandi. And lastly, the movement of multiplication. I want you to repeat these with me. You can read them off the screen with me. Can you do it with me? First, the mandate. Secondly, the message. Thirdly, the mark. Fourthly, the modus operandi. And lastly, the movement of multiplication. Now, I'm going to read an extended portion of Scripture. I hope you don't mind that. But I think this story requires us to, to get all of it in context so that we understand what's going on. Many of you know it so, so well. But Acts chapter 1, we're going to read from it and re realize that Luke has written Acts and he has just finished writing the Gospel of Luke as well. So you'll hear him refer to that previous book at the beginning and that previous book is the gospel that he, he wrote. So he writes to a friend, Theophilus. In, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them for, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when he had entered, 
And when they had entered, they went up to an upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in the Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for, the, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 41. So then, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Amen. Now, the five M's again, the mandate, the message, the mark, the modus operandi, the movement of multiplication. First, the mandate. Some of these you know like the back of your hand. A mandate is an official order or a commission. And ours is unambiguous. Jesus, in verse one, in chapter one, verse eight, 
said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you and I exist. The sole purpose for you and I existing on earth, the church, the gathered ones, the ecclesia, those the gathered of the community of God, is to bear witness to the life and death and resurrection and ascension and future return of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, foretold by the prophets, the savior of both Jew and non-Jew, and we are to bear witness to our neighbors and then to the nations. That's why we exist. I don't know if you have any other reason why you think the church exists, but this is the mandate of Jesus. My life's verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I live for that verse, but all of us live for that verse. It is our hope, it's not only our hope, it's the certainty of history. God will, in fact, conquer the earth with his glory. He will fill it with the knowledge of his glory. We live for that. It's why we exist. Jesus said, however, that we exist, Sherwood Baptist exists, for the benefit of those who don't know that glorious ending. They've never heard of it. They've rejected it. They've ignored it. But we live for the benefit of those who do not know this ending and have no confidence in this ending. Chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell people what you know. I don't know much, Bob. Tell them what you know. You will be my witnesses. Tell them what you know. Jesus was looking over, overlooking Jerusalem when he said this. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing on the Mount of Olives. I can imagine him looking over Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You see the town, the city, right behind you. Turn around, look at it. That city, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea, the surrounding region that this city is found in, and Samaria, that city that is really beyond your region, full of half-breeds, you call them half-breeds, they're not really a part of you. They're not really a part of anybody. You hate them. They're not your culture. You despise the Samaritan. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to love them on my behalf. You're going to love them, those you don't like. And to the ends of the earth. You think that I have just come for, for a few million Jews. No, I have come as, as a fulfillment to the prophet of Abraham, to the prophecy to Abraham, that I, through my seed, through the seed of the woman, I will bless the nations of the earth. You are going to be my witnesses there. You're going to tell them what you know. I don't know much, Bob. Tell them what you know. That's why you exist. That's why you're here. The message, what do you tell them? The message we bear witness to is as obvious as the mandate. And the message never changes. 
It came to the disciples during their life with Jesus. Gradually, they, I, I think they gradually understood it. And if they did not understand it during the three years they were with them, certainly they understood it during the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection when Jesus explained to them from the scriptures, from the scrolls, from the prophets, that he had fulfilled everything. And like the, like the, the laws of the universe, like gravity itself, the message of God never changes and is never irrelevant. It's, it's not an anachronism. It's not some dusty old myth. It is as new today as it was when Jesus spoke it. And here's our message. Chapter 2, verse 38, repent. Change your mind about God. That's what it means. Change your mind about God and change your mind about yourself. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, change the direction of your life from death toward Jesus, life. And be baptized, every one of you. You're Baptists. You get this. Publicly acknowledge your devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Be baptized. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Because God has wiped away everything that stands between you and him. He's wiped away everything that stands between you and him. That's what atonement means. He has covered your sins with his blood. And you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God is the indwelling presence that brings life. The indwelling presence of Jesus himself. Eternal life. Life in abundance. And righteousness. Not your righteousness. Imparted to you. Given to you for free. And also the power of Christ himself. And what is the promise of this message? Chapter 2, verse 21 Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal death. Saved from the judgment of God. Saved from hell. Do you know there's a real hell? The message Jesus gave us is one of reconciliation with God the Creator. And this is the same message recorded at the end of the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, when the resurrected Jesus met with his friends, some of them for the first time after he had come back from the dead. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures were told, those, those things which were con con contained in the scrolls that they had grown up with, embedded in the writings of the Old Testament. He opened their minds and said to them, this, thus it is written, the Christ should su suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Sounds like, sounds like what we just read. And then remember in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18 and following, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sherwood Baptist Church, like every local church, like my local church in Bloomington, Minnesota, exists. It belongs to the universal body of Christ across the earth. It exists to fulfill this mandate. It exists to preach this message. The universal message, the message of universal truth, a message for every age, a message for every demographic, a message for everyone living in every geographic location, a mandate and a message that don't change. That's why you exist. This brings us to the mark. What's a mark? A mark is a target audience. We get market from mark. Mark is an older word. We don't use it much anymore. The mark hasn't changed either. Chapter 2, verse 39, for the promise, the promise of salvation through Jesus is for you, that is the Jews, and your children, those, all those little Jewish children, I'm your Messiah, and for those who are far off. Now, who are the far off ones? They're the Gentiles, or the, the non-Jews. The Apostle Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2 that the far-off ones are ones that will be brought near by the grace of Christ. One humanity, neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, we're one in Christ. A new humanity. The mark includes, as we read in chapter 2, verse 9, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, the Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Essentially then, everybody. Right at the birth of the church, God was giving us a glimpse, a foretaste of his final purposes as recorded in the last book of the Bible, the end of the world will read in John's wonderful vision of heaven that he beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Revelation 7, 9. There's a lot of people in those categories that you may not you may not particularly like. Get over it. <laughs> You're going to spend the next 10 million years with these people. And Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. This is the mark to be reached. Ah, but now we get to the modus operandi. Modus operandi, Latin, right? The mode of operation. 
does this all the work? How do we do this? What's the means by which God operates through his people? Well, technologies may change, and, I, and we opened up with my reference to multiple technologies. And of course, you, Sherwood Baptist Church knows as much as anybody anywhere in the country about the use of technologies. This church has given birth to mediums, excuse me, and, and, uh, content, media content that has reached millions of people and has spun out, has spun out a, a, a ministry that is reaching increasingly millions of people. You know about technologies. But of course, you also know that even though the technologies change, the operation of the Spirit is different. But the operation of the Spirit never changes. Whether your platform is the temple in Jerusalem or Facebook, or Mars Hill in Athens, or YouTube, or the synagogue of Ephesus, or Twitter, or Sammy Tippett, or the Apostle Paul, or the Kendrick Brothers, or Charles Spurgeon, the operation of the Spirit doesn't change. And he's available to you, too. Same Spirit. Same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we're told in Romans. This is the bottom line. The entire mission of the gospel is driven by the power of the Spirit. Jesus ordered his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How many of you are afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Then Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. Which one do you lack? So the first believers waited. They waited how? In prayer. And why? Because they needed God's spirit to succeed. Prayer is predicated on our need for God. Over the past couple of days, you've heard me say on a number of occasions, without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. This is a partnership between heaven and earth. It's a partnership in answer to prayer. Prayer is predicated on our need for God's spirit and our partnership with God and the accomplishment of his purposes. So the whole mission of the church, the whole reason why we exist, well, it was, it was birthed in prayer. You know this, right? I mean, just remind yourself of this, please. The, the church was not birthed in, in some 
meeting of deacons somewhere who decided to come up with a good idea called the church. Not some office outside of Atlanta that decided, oh, it'd be a good thing to form churches. We'll start in the south and then go everywhere else. This was birthed in a prayer meeting of people who had just been and just seen the resurrected and ascended Christ, who were instructed by this Lord to go back to Jerusalem and wait until they have been clothed with power from on high. Are you? Clothed with power from on high. You got dressed this morning, I did. I'm here, I'm clothed. This is an intentional thing I did, just for you. <laughs> I, I'm certain you are glad I did so. <laughs> the clothing of power from on high is equally as intentional. You have to seek God for it and wait upon God. The whole mission of the church begins with prayer, it is fueled with prayer. Repeat with me much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, guess, no power. How many of you have walked into this worship center this morning with no power? And Albany, Georgia is impoverished because you did. In Acts chapter 1, we are shown a prayer meeting in which the hearts and the minds of the prayers were united by faith and purpose. They were of one accord. Homothumadon is the word in Greek. One accord. They were in one mind. They heard the mandate of God from the mouth of his son. They heard the message of God from the mouth of his son. They witnessed the gospel played out before their very eyes. They were of one accord all the disciples, with one accord, were devoting themselves, devoting themselves to prayer. That's the strongest language in the Greek possible. I hope there's no mail carriers in the room, but this is like a pit bull on a mailman. You gotta shoot these dogs to let go. They're dangerous things when they get mad. They've latched on, they're not gonna let go. Devoted to prayer. Not only was the church born in a work of the Spirit in answer to prayer, it was expanded by a spirit-filled 
church praying for the preaching of the word. And it was also borne along by the gifts of the Spirit and the fellowship of the Spirit and the indwelling and manifest presence of the Spirit. I mean, there should be no doubt when someone walks into this room that there is something, actually someone, different about this place than any place they know. Jude 18. Well, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching as well, spirit and truth. They were being taught to obey all that Christ had commanded and being taught to obey by the power of the spirit. And the fellowship, the fellowship, The fellowship, underline the, there's an article there, the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They loved each other. This isn't devoting themselves to donuts and coffee. This is devoting themselves to each other, the fellowship. I belong to you. Turn to someone and say, I belong to you. Now, sometimes husbands and wives get this. Turn to someone who is not your spouse and say, I belong to you. I belong to you. You ever been in the grocery store and you see somebody from Sherwood in, in, in the grocery store and they see you out of the corner of their eye and they sort of turn away and they go the other way. Uh, they just don't want to see it. No, I belong to you. I belong to you. You, me, you, me. Right? Forever, forever. Sherwood, Baptist Church, we belong to each other. And the kingdom of God. And to the breaking of bread and to prayers, all kinds of prayers. The answer of, of their, their initial prayers meant more prayers. Jude 18, in the, last, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, we're told, divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in front of a excuse me, in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, devoting, excuse me, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's what, this is, this is, describes what's going on. They're praying in the Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you afraid of praying in the Holy Spirit? Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, being born along by the Holy Spirit. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, all the whole armor of God is placed upon one, breastplate of righteousness, shoes fit for the righteousness, you know, for the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the faith, the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, but also praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert in. With all perseverance, praying, making your supplications for all the saints. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Bob, we're not, we're not that kind of church. In fact, if someone were to pray in the Spirit here, I think, our, I, think the, 
I think the leaders of this church would ask them to leave. Uh, I mean, you may be talking about a, a particular sp spiritual gift that may or may not be exercised in this church. I, I don't know. But he, he says all kinds of prayers, every kind of prayer, every imaginable kind of prayer, you're to pray in the Spirit. It's the only prayer that God listens to. It's the only prayer that is delivered to the ears of God by the medium of the Holy Spirit. And what was the result of all this praying? Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by done through the apostles. Not by the apostles. Through the apostles. The apostles didn't do the work. God did the work. In answer to prayer, God did the work. Through the apostles. And all who believed were together and held all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as they had need. They cared, they loved each other. It's a sign of the Spirit, the dwelling of spirit, the Spirit. Go ahead, look at someone who's not your spouse. Just tell them, I love you. Go ahead, say it. Only about 30% of you did that. So, <laughs> a little scary, isn't it? But you know what? All of this activity, this the modus operandi of the Spirit, the love of the saints, the continued prayer, the awe, the signs and wonders, the Spirit-filled praying, the answers to prayer, the wonder of the fellowship, the commitment they had to each other, the generosity that comes out of, as a fruit of the Spirit, all in answer to prayer. This is so attractive. This is so overwhelmingly attractive that day by day, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That leads us to the last, the movement of multiplication. You just can't stop this thing. So there, there it is, the, the five M's. The mandate, say them with me. The mandate, the message, the mark, the modus operandi, the movement of multiplication. This is why you and I exist. It's the reason God left you behind when Jesus was called to heaven. It defines the normal Christian life, the normal Christian life, Watchman Nee, the normal Christian life. This is what is a normal Christian life. And whatever we don't live up to, we're living a subnormal Christian life. This is life driven along by the winds of the Holy Spirit of God in answer to prayer. It arises out of prayer. It is sustained by prayer. It inspires more prayer. 
and it multiplies itself like a virus. You're afraid of the coronavirus today? I want a plague of the Holy Spirit praying across the face of the earth today. And I want people who are afraid of God to run from us, but I want others to run to us because they're so attractive, attracted by the manifest glory of their creator. The beauty of the bride. I pray for Sherwood Baptist Church. It would be a beautiful bride. In October 1988, my wife Sally and I traveled with some friends to First Baptist Church in Flushing, Queens. There were about 800 others represented from the five boroughs of New York. If you've never been to Flushing, Queens, it's, it's, it's right, it's in the heart of New York. It's New York. I was telling people the other day that there are within a 10-block radius of First Baptist Flushing, Queens, there was, there was in 1980, 110 languages spoken. Within the five boroughs of New York, every nation on the face of the earth and its territories are represented by some group. The worship center was filled with dozens of people from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, red and yellow, black, white, precious in his sight. Black Baptists, Conservative Baptists, Southern Baptists, Presbyterians, Black and Hispanic Pentecostals, Episcopalians, they've dressed like lawyers, Independent Charismatics, Christian Missionary Alliance, Assemblies of God, so on and so on, all of them. For three hours we prayed, for three hours we praised. I had never prayed in my life, never prayed for three hours about anything before. It was my first experience of a concert of prayer a term that was first used in the 19, excuse me, 1740s by Christians whose gatherings in prayer preceded mighty works of God in history. And that was our goal that night, to see God move upon the city of New York. And there were all kinds of prayers, all kinds of supplications going on. And you could sense the spirit of God in the room. People were praying in the spirit. We, we prayed individually. We prayed in small huddles and groups. We prayed corporately. Hundreds groaned in repentance before God, confessing their sins to one another in prayer. We wept with each other in prayer. My little huddle of prayer was, was uh, two, two white lawyers from Staten Island, uh, a, a Hispanic couple from, from uh, I can't remember where, from Jamaica, Queens, I think it was, and, and four black Pentecostal women from the Bronx. And when my, my wife and I from New Jersey, good, good, wonderful, white little Christians from New Jersey, standing in the middle of this, this sea of ethnic diversity, we started opening our mouths and praying. When those four black Pentecostal women began to pray, I was embarrassed. I was utterly ashamed because they knew God like I did not. And here I was working on my doctorate, Having pastored two churches, these women knew God, and I did not know him like they did. And I was ashamed. And that night was glorious. That night changed my life. We confessed our prayerlessness. We professed our carnality. We professed our materialism. We, we confessed that the church 
was, had lost its first love and we longed for its first love and we, 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 we prayed that the races would be reconciled full of the Holy Spirit and truth and we, we prayed that for regional concerns and national concerns and global concerns, praying that God would anoint his followers afresh with the presence of God and unleash us back into the darkness of the night. And we prayed and we sang, we prayed and we sang, we prayed and we sang. And many thousands of prayers rose that night to God. And at the end, at the end, we joined hands together, all 800 of us, and we streamed out the front door of First Baptist Church. It was full. I don't know how we did it. I'm not quite sure. Out into the night, out into the busy New York night, across Sanford Avenue, stopping traffic as we went. And then chained to each other by we chained to each other by hands, we went through a chain link fence into an asphalt park with apartments rising all around us. And once we were in the park, we prayed in huddles again, crying out to God that God might begin a miracle that night in our city. And having finished praying in small groups, the whole group spontaneously, spontaneously began to sing together as if to finally agree with one united simultaneous prayer, to God be the glory, great things he has done, So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his his life as an atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord, we cried. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. And as we sang, the lights in the apartments were going on all around us. People were coming to the windows, leaning out. It wasn't a robbery down there. It wasn't some kind of crime going on. It was this glorious sea of humanity, all races, singing to the praises of God, united in spirit and truth. And as the words and the music reverberated off the buildings, it sounded glorious. Some of you have been to St. Anne's Church in, in in Jerusalem, and you have sung and all this glorious harmon- harmonics, people on their decks hearing us sing. We were cementing the call of God upon our lives, not simply to pray, but to take our witness to the streets of our city. Into the darkness, we took the light. Such crying out to God in prayer, such ascribing to God in glory, honor. Such praise and honor, acknowledgement of our dependence on him, our absolute need of the Holy Spirit, our dependence on his grace and strength through his arm, not our own, and the acknowledgement that we as a church must be clothed with the garments of righteousness in order for his purposes to be accomplished. That's what I pray for you, Sherwood Baptist Church. That prayer meeting led to a movement that changed the course of history in New York. In the 1980s, if you've been to Times Square recently, you don't know New York. In the 1980s, Times Square was full of porn theaters and strip joints. There was prostitution right off of 42nd Street. The trash filled the streets, the graffiti on the subways, the violent crime, one of the most violent cities in the country. And now today, Times Square is Disneyland. Manhattan is clean. 
There isn't prostitution anywhere to be found in Manhattan. That is, not openly. And a prayer movement was launched in that city that covered the city 24-7, 24-7 for nearly 20 years straight, one of the largest collaborations of prayer and evangelism in the Western Hemisphere. One of the most remarkable untold stories of transformation in a city. And that prayer meeting changed the city. That prayer meeting changed my life, and I've never been the same since. And I've been leading and calling for such prayer meetings ever since. And this is the modus operandi of the church. It is the heart of the church. It is where our resources come from. It is from this that the fountain of God's life flows. Without which there is no awe. Without which there is no wonder. Without which there is only a trickle of salvation. Without which there is hardly compassion or generosity or joy. And certainly without which there is no multiplication. Can it be said of Albany, Georgia, that on this day in 2001, the history of Albany began to change? Would you rise with me to pray? I wonder if we could agree in prayer, a united prayer on the screen. Can all of you read this prayer? I'm going to ask you, maybe you're not used to it, but you will get used to it in heaven. Would you raise your hands in prayer? In a commitment to God, before God, and in the presence of God, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give ourselves to the mission of Christ. We will order our lives around the mandate of Jesus to take his salvation to our neighbors and the nations of the earth. We commit ourselves to the changeless message of the crucified, risen, ascended, and returning Lord, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins be preached to the whole world, and that everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. We submit ourselves to the ways of the Spirit who responds to prayer, fills us with Christ, fills us with the love of Christ, empowers our witness, giving gifts to us so that other men and women become disciples of Jesus. And we pledge never to give up praying, never to give up praying, never to give up praying, until this movement of the Spirit is multiplied throughout Albany and to every tribe and language, and until together we see Jesus return in glory. Amen? Amen. Uh, you remain standing for a moment. I want to ask you just to bow your heads. Lord, would you make those more than words? 
would you give us a mandate? Wrestle with our hearts until we see the way you see. Love the way you love. Care the way you care. Help the way you help. Serve the way you serve. Witness the way you witness. And never beat our chest about how great we are. But only the greatness of our God. Lord, in our area, there are many tribes and tongues. Most of them do not feel welcomed or wanted. Let this be a lighthouse for people groping in darkness, looking in the wrong places for answers in their lives. May we be the church with open arms and receptive hearts and forgiving spirits and kindness and goodness and grace. Lord, do not let us just receive this as information and go to our connect groups and just try to teach our lessons because our lesson is important. It is your lesson that is important today. Hijack our connect groups. Hijack our conversations in the hallways. Hijack our interactions with one another. Lord, bring us back tonight as we come for a concert or prayer that tonight we will pray differently. We will pray with great brokenness and boldness for the things that you have for us called Sherwood. Even now, where most churches in this community are gathering for worship at 11 o'clock instead of when we normally gather, I pray that you would move in those services, that you would drive into the heart of every pastor and every worship leader. I want this day for my glory. Forget your bulletin. Forget your stuff. Give it to God for glory. So God, I pray for every tribe and tongue and every denomination that gathers. If they have pastors and leaders that believe the Word of God, that today the Word of God would speak to them, even now as they're thinking about all they want to say, I pray that you would drive what they should say and what should be done. And that the ripple, the wind of the Spirit blowing across a sea that is too calm would stir up some waves that move the ship of the gospel further, further into places we've never gone before. We praise your name. Thank you for the message that we've heard. We bless your name. And God's people said, Amen.